Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. With vaccines rolling out for summer, it's time to shed that quarantine 19. We in the studio are motivating each other by doing a weight loss competition. My plan, a keto diet, steady workout regimen, and light vehicular manslaughter. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are covering part one of Thinner, which was our Patreon selection from Kevin Sundstrom. And we are reading through chapter 17 with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. To start things off, I just want to give a brief description of the book. Thinner is about a Connecticut lawyer, Billy Halleck. That's how I'm pronouncing his name. Does that work for you? Yeah, yeah, sounds okay. good. He appears to be living, you know, what we consider the American dream. He has a wife, Heidi, a daughter, Linda, she's a teen. He has a good job as a lawyer, a nice home, and a nice neighborhood, friends. And the only problem he seems to have is that he's about 50 pounds overweight, although to him, I don't think it's yeah, necessarily a problem. God forbid. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but the, the issue is that he is at risk for possibly having a heart attack. So pretty good life overall. And I don't want to derail the train before it's left the station, but something that I want to dive into before we even get to the book is the nature of Billy's character. Because this is very heavily on my mind because we just came off our March Madness episodes and we're talking a lot about antagonists and protagonists Mm -hmm. and heroes. As I spent more and more time with Billy, I was realizing that he sucks. He's kind (laughs) of a dick. Yeah, yeah. And I I kept reminding myself that this is a Bachman book Mm -hmm. and Bachman books always feel different than King's other work. Our characters are not heroic. They are, these books are bleak and unapologetic about that they're kind of anti-heroes and sometimes even that's a stretch (laughs) so i just want to get that out there up front because it feels different yeah for sure famously at least in this room this might be the first king book that i read for fun while we were recording the podcast really yes and I hated it. <laughs> I fucking hated this book. And when you guys find uh, like I I had been dreading, like, oh, I'm gonna have to read this again sometime. <laughs> Bill Halleck is a piece of shit. The book itself is pretty rough. There's some a lot of hate speech in this. That said, kind of enjoying it this time. <laughs> <laughs> I what I like is that most books are what if something bad happens to just an every guy? That's mostly how these go. But Bachman books are, what if the worst thing happened to the worst people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this up because we read The Running Man. Mm-hmm. And I think I at least was a little harsh on it. I didn't really give it that consideration that it is a Bachman book. I was judging it more on what I have come to expect from King. And by the time I was like really diving into Stephen King as a teenager, that secret was out. And so I have never picked up a Bachman book without thinking about King. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I tried really hard, and I kind of wish I would have done that with Running Man, but it's too late. I tried really hard hard to read Thinner with that in mind and see how I 
enjoyed it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, doing it that way. It is a good thing to keep in mind because the first time through reading this book, it's just fucking unpleasant. And really, for the first half of the book, nothing happens. (laughs) That that was my chief complaint. And so I was just like, this book sucks. It's a bunch of, there are no likable characters. None. Nothing happens for a real long time. And I'm just not enjoying it. But this time through, going through and paying attention to, like, I've been thinking a lot about why I am so into flawed and even shitty characters in other media. Mm -hmm. But on this podcast, it keeps coming (laughs) up that I'm like, I fucking hate this main character. (laughs) Yeah. no, Like, what the difference is. So, yeah, you're right. I've been trying to read this as a, yeah, all these people are kind of shitty. And that's, like, kind of the point that it's trying to make is all of these upper class citizens of uh, whatever this town in Connecticut is called are all pieces of shit. (laughs) This book is trying to set up this, it it wants to represent this gluttonous, privileged, Mm -hmm. repercussionless side of America. And it does so very Mm -hmm. well. (laughs) And uh, it's hard for me to get behind that. But anyway, okay, this is interesting because my next note was, I felt like I could waste time because you know what doesn't waste time? This book. I <laughs> No, oh, I, is, I felt like we got right into the meat of it. I think you kind of have to with this. I mean, yeah, because uh, it starts in media res. We don't have to like wait around and see the curse happen, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, structure wise. Chapter one is titled 246, which refers to Billy's current weight, which is interesting. And not all of the chapters have that countdown, but it did remind me of Running Man, which is why Running Man has been on my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, We, of course, get the curse through Halleck's memories, you guys said, as he's standing on his bathroom scale, noticing that he has lost three pounds, but he's not very excited about it. We meet Halleck's lover. That's what he calls her. (laughs) (laughs) They're super gross at first and then never again. We also meet his 14-year-old daughter, Linda, with a sexy velvet ribbon. No. No. Why? No. Why? Do you? I think it's to illustrate, hey, don't be on this guy's side. <laughs> like, I, I really think that these this first chapter is a lot of real red flags that, like, are saying no matter what happens to Billy, remember, he sucks. I hope so, because I was like, okay, is this Stephen King or Bachman trying to tell us Billy blows? Or is he, as he's writing this, forgetting that we're hearing this from the character's <laughs> perspective? He's like, oh, you know what would be sexy? Velvet ribbon. Well, yeah. uh, honestly, <laughs> I think it's just that because it's not only in this scene, there's a later scene where they go on a walk. Uh, he yeah. goes on a walk with his how old is she? 14. 14-year-old 14 daughter and spends the entire time thinking about how long her legs are and how her shorts are too short. It's not. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be fatherly where she's like, oh, she's getting so big, but it doesn't come off that way. I don't even remember where I was going with that. It's just weird. And I, I don't know. I kind of read it as just there are no female characters for Bachman to sexualize so he had to go with the 14 year old (laughs) oh gosh yeah it's not good Uh, (laughs) I I said I was enjoying it more not that I like (laughs) you know what 
yeah, I am enjoying this book. Or wait, I like it, but I'm not enjoying it. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Billy is trying to get through breakfast and he is having like these PTSD flashbacks and his wife can tell that something's up and she's trying to comfort him. And pretty soon we are going to learn about a couple more characters who are going to be involved that we'll come to meet shortly. But first we have the tit grabber. I love that that's like his recurring description. So much. That's all. every time Billy refers to him or thinks of Judge Carrie Rossington. This is his character. He thinks about him grabbing his wife's tits. He says i would not be over it either yeah Yeah, i was gonna say that's i think fair yeah like i would have been like yeah this guy's a piece i hate this guy i don't know why it sounded like i was complaining about that (laughs) (laughs) no it sucks that carrie rossington is a sex predator but uh yeah you're supposed to like like we said these are all the characters that are the bad guys there's another problem with him and it relates to bill's curse Do you guys want to talk about how he contributed to this ever-evolving situation? Yeah. I want to jump back. What we we know, and and like this is like just in that first chapter, we know that leaving the courtroom after being found not guilty, this old gypsy man made his way Mm. to the crowd. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this. Yeah. They use that word a lot. I will not be because it's a racial slur. Yes. Oh, I read on Google that that was a word. That was normal and preferred for them. Is that not right? It, is it? Because That's, I've I always heard that it's Romani. I looked it up because I wanted to not use the wrong word. And it was like, Gypsy, Romani, either's fine. Interesting. Mm. In the terms of this book, it certainly it's, feels like yeah. a pejorative. Yes, okay. it is. Yeah. We get, let's just call them the traveling family. Let's call them uh, the, the... Traveling Wilburys. The Lutz... <laughs> Lutz's... Ludit... Lemkes. Lemkes. Yeah. Where okay. Lemkes. <laughs> Where was the Lemke? I? The Lemke family. Yes. This Romani man made his way through the crowd. He has a like rotted nose, and he just touched him and whispered the word thinner and then scampered away. At least that's how I imagine it. That's how I imagine it. Makes the scene so much better. <laughs> like he's just giggling, just hey, got him. Because and runs away. This character, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try. Tadas? Lemke? Tattoos. Yeah, tattoos. Sure. Better than I expected. (laughs) He is a a threatening character. Yeah. Like, he is uh, unknowably old and has magic. Can I show you guys a picture of him? Uh, And make sure to make a good face for the listeners. (laughs) For the listeners, yeah. Yeah, because I have a special edition of Thinner. Oh. Released by Cemetery Dance. It was really hard to read this book because every time I put it down, on one side is Billy Halleck. Ugh. Later in the book, and on the other is Lemke. Whip it out. Oh, oh that's disgusting. Yeah. yeah, that's deeply upsetting. That's Holy what I pictured shit. every time. Yeah, he's an old man with no nose. He has a rotten hole yeah. where his nose is. But it's is. described as a spongy hole, yeah. which yeah. I can't like tolerate. Like it's eating away. <laughs> it's, it's very bad. He's a very upsetting figure. And I love your idea of him <laughs> just coming and going like old man McGucket from Gravity Falls. Just, wow! Thinner, yeah! And just running off. Climbing a tree for no reason. Yeah. I also, it's it's hard to talk about the family and him by name this early on because we don't, we don't know. They don't get identities until nearly the end of where we're reading. Uh, he was found not guilty. The problem here is that Judge Titgrabber was the judge presiding over this 
vehicular manslaughter case, but him and Billy like are golf buddies Mm -hmm. and he should have recused recused himself himself, and he didn't. And when he didn't, nobody said anything because nobody cares. Mm -hmm. So we find out a little more detail about the accident a little later, but it's definitely been affecting Billy and his whole family. His wife, this morning, you guys, she's looking her age. She's looking a whopping 35 35. years old. (laughs) An old hag. Jesus. (laughs) Straight up, Billy. And Linda has had some trouble at school with, you know, being gossiped about and teased a bit by some of her peers because it's really hard being the daughter of someone who killed someone. Right. (laughs) And everybody at school knowing about it. Oh, and I had the note about yellow cotton panties, but we already covered that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Moving I, on. Let's do it again. I, I was going to make the argument again, like, uh, you know, it's it's reading. We're reading from a woman's perspective. It wouldn't be about how fuckable her son is, but we mm-hmm. just recorded Mr. Oh, Mercedes, yeah, that's so. a good point. Anyway, it's not all bad news for Halleck. There's some good things on the horizon. He just closed out a big settlement. And he decides that he and Heidi could do with a few days away and they are going to Mohonk. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right at all, but it's a Victorian castle resort in Hudson Valley, New York. It's like a nature preserve. I looked it up and I want to live there forever. <laughs> it is super beautiful. But he's he's really struggling still because he keeps having all of these flashbacks. He keeps seeing Lemke's face and hearing the word thinner. Here's where we're getting the reveal about what actually happened that night when he hit this woman with his car. And we'll talk about what exactly that was. But I also like that the whole time any of this is happening, he's eating constantly, yeah. but mindlessly, which reminds me of me sometimes. When, I <laughs> sex, when you ran over a woman, you just ate nonstop. Yeah, I, I wasn't remember. I wasn't getting a hand job. Well, according to the police report, you weren't. That, well, that's because the chief of police has met a good friend of mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the actual accident itself. It's weird that I love the accident. <laughs> oh, what? okay. Wait. I hate it. In its absurdity. It made me, oh, how do I put this the most appropriate way? When you are a young person in a new relationship and you're exploring ways you can explore things with each other, things happen in cars. I was terrified to death of touching any boy in a car while he was driving. While he was driving. Yeah, because I'm like, we're going to hit a gypsy woman and he's going to get cursed. Irresponsible is right. So Halleck and his wife were driving down what seemed like a busy street because all of these Romani people have been in town and there are cars lining the road. So I imagined it as there were a lot of people around And his wife of many years just decides, out of the blue, it's the handjob time. That's right, everybody. (laughs) Another King book where a handjob is a crucial plot point. (laughs) Oh, and it's the first car handjob. Yeah. The the, first. Of all time? Yeah. Because it's described. Wait, Richard Bachman <laughs> invented no, for this, road handies? Yes. No, for this couple. Uh, uh, that's yes. a point, too, that she's never done that before. Yeah. Of which all is, days. Today. Which is why this woman is to blame for yes. everything that happens Amen. going on. Preach. Uh, another reason. <laughs> so annoying. I that's really the struggled. hardest part of that's this book. That's the, not the hardest Oh, my part. God. Okay, Ben, well, please continue. <laughs> So, mid the hardest part of his drive, <laughs> and an old woman, he describes her as like in her, what, like between 70s? 70 to 90, yeah. like an 
old, old, frail woman comes out between two cars. And before he can pay attention, because he's right there, he fucking runs her over. Like, literally over. Because he describes the blood hitting the windshield and the Mm. sound of her rolling under his car. Yeah. And his wife's grip. And then, yeah, his wife, in her terror, almost rips his dick (laughs) off, which would have been uh, fair. Right. I don't think there would have been a curse if if he would have got his dick ripped off. (laughs) He would have just been like, yeah, I think, you know, I think Lemke would have been like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) Serves you right. It is the, the sound, the fact that the sound of him hitting her and he can still feel her rolling under the tires. And he states it has not impacted his appetite or his sleep is the prime example. Mm -hmm. If you have not taken away that this is a shitty guy, that's the moment that locks it all into place. Halleck almost isn't a person in this book as much as he is a stand in for the upper class middle-aged mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, he represents... Like, yeah. he represents all of the shittiness of suburbia. Generations of shittiness. Yes. yes. Which we'll, we'll get to much later. But throughout all of these things that are happening, I, I just want to bring this up. It's not going to come into play for this entire section. But he keeps thinking about an old acquaintance of his, Richard Ginelli. Right? He, yeah. Is that how I'm mm-hmm. saying it? Okay. He sounds like a Dolan type character. Yes. Yeah. He's uh, a hood. He's uh, an organized crimester. Yeah. Why did I say it like <laughs> that? I don't know, but, but I seems, liked it. He seems like cool. I just <laughs> like a cool, <laughs> badass dude who, like, Billy got him off on his case and he was just like, hey, come hang out whenever you feel like it. You're a good dude. See you later. They have an interesting relationship, though, because mm. Billy's like, an, uh, this was a few years ago. He was an up and comer in the law firm, and they threw him this one case with this person. He owns a bunch of restaurants and stuff, and that's kind of the front for his less uh, upstanding business. And he starts to get really close to him. Billy likes him, and it seems like Billy's a little bit naive, too, kind of in retrospect, thinking about these things. Janelli has to tell him, come around. A little less, though. It won't look good for you if, right? if we look too chummy. And that's another reason why this character is kind of a cool character, mm-hmm. is that that's a genuine friendship. Yeah. Where he's like, he's <laughs> genuinely looking out for this guy. Well, as far as we know. But it, for him to be like, listen, man, you're cool, but you're you're on the law and order side mm-hmm. of things. And uh I'm going to do a bunch of crimes, so <laughs> and make knows, yourself scarce. Yeah, he, he likes having Billy as a resource, but he knows to preserve his ability to do something for him, mm-hmm. he can't get too deep involved with what he's doing. Anyway, it's going to come up later, but for now, we just need to know that Chanelli is a guy who seems to be able to make things happen, so that's why he is on Billy's mind. And will not be mentioned again for another 200 pages. <laughs> <laughs> we get a chapter of Halleck and his wife Heidi while they're at the resort. I didn't really have much to note about this. It's We get more of their relationship. I, this was the moment that I made a note that just said, Bachman's a romantic. Uh, she, she talks about that like she can tell he's lost weight. And the line that I wrote down, you can fool your wife about another woman, at least for a while, not about your weight. 
A woman who bore that weight down from time to time in the night knew what you weighed. Ooh. And I was like, just put that on a Valentine's card, <laughs> Bachman. <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, Bill Hodges. And- oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did think, though, as they're they're kind of wrapping up their time, they're leaving a place and there's one of these old-timey, like, weighing machines. Weighing machines? The weight and fate machine? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and he sticks a thing in it. And what comes up is just thinner. Is Do you think a- that really happened? No. Is this a thing? The, okay, the, this machine is, it's just a scale, but it gives you a fortune. Sure. Is that a thing? I no. think so. <laughs> I can't imagine sure. that's a thing. Sounds like a real carnival thing. But, <laughs> it does sound like a real carnival thing. But that's an interesting point you just made, CM, is did this actually happen? Mm-hmm. In a different book. In a king ha- book? In a king book, maybe. Maybe. Nah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe still in a king book. But in a different book. How much of what we read would you think actually happened? Because there are little bits where we are left to, like, no one, once we get further into the book, no one believes Halleck mm-hmm. about a lot of the stuff that we see firsthand. So I feel like in a different book, a lot of this stuff could be passed off as in his head. I think that would have been more possible if we had gotten chapters from the perspective of the other characters it would have cast doubt on his reliability as the narrator Mm -hmm. but because it was just him i was all in but that would have been cool i i would have liked in this book to doubt the truth of what Mm -hmm. he's experiencing anyway it's interesting this vacation because he actually noticeably to her loses weight during this like i think it's like five days Mm -hmm. and she starts to get really really worried and he's upset with her because he's saying you have been with me this whole time i am constantly eating i'm eating way more than a normal person should like i'm clearly not doing this intentionally or starving myself i'm not anorexic or bulimic because she's trying to think okay what's wrong with him and of course the the thing she lands on is oh he must there must be a tumor must be cancer or something really terrible right because that's the only explanation for sudden weight loss unless it's a curse (laughs) well (laughs) There's one part that I did relate to reading about it. It's before he finally agrees to go to the doctor and he's thinking about how his his weighing ritual has drastically changed from mm. what it used to be. And I just like that he's describing this. He's like, OK, you guys know you you strip down. So there's no extra weight. You do it before you eat anything. You go to the bathroom if you can. And if all of those things don't line up, you don't get on. Like, mm. my goal is to be a dried out husk every yeah. time I step onto the scale. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, I did like, though, the the reversal of this. He's like, I'm putting change in my pocket. Right. I'm wearing my heaviest <laughs> yeah. shoes. I'm loading myself down. And He's, you know the scale weighs heavy. No. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I, the writing here, I wanted to know what you guys thought about it because... It's he's referring to himself as a heretic, like a devil worshiper who perverses a religious ceremony by hanging a cross upside down. And I was like, well, that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do love the idea, the lengths to which he is going to try and fool himself that he has not lost eight pounds. Yeah, which is in the beginning of the book. It's so funny to me because I don't think. I would get as scared as he was as fast as he does. He buys into the curse immediately. Immediately. But that begs the question, is this something, is there some physiological piece of it that he is aware of on a level he's maybe not consciously aware of? 
Well, I, I also had the thought that it's because of the specific genre this book is. Because it real it occurred to me halfway through this first section, this is not just a horror book. This is maybe the first time I've ever read a body horror book. <laughs> that all of the terror, all of the scary parts of this book come from what could just be medical anomalies. Like, the scary yeah. part of this book is just weird shit can happen to your body at every t- any time, and doctors will not know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> that and that's is scary. I, I, kind of, I kind of wish that you hadn't put that into words just now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it, it's almost like that was in your notes, and you wanted to say it? No. No? I, now it's in her psyche. Yes. Uh. I specifically tried not to think of it that explicitly, because <laughs> no, medical things terrify yeah. me. CM's going to grow scales. The oh, whole no. <laughs> book, I, I, didn't, I don't think it is, but I've been reading and hoping and wishing that the movie was directed by Cronenberg. Oh like Cronenberg, this is a Cronenberg movie mm-hmm. in book form. Man, okay. Unfortunately, going from that amazing thought, we have to talk about another jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Houston, who's just living life, being rich, being racist. I hope something terrible <laughs> I wish happens he to him. was also cursed. I just... <laughs> want him to hurt. <laughs> I hate him. You know what I never get tired of reading about? Hmm. Rich, racist assholes. Never gets old. Can't get enough. (laughs) I'm going to surprise you guys. And I don't like this character, but I like this character. You know what I mean? No, not at all. Like, obviously, (laughs) yes, you are correct. He is an awful person, but he's such a fucking weirdo, (laughs) like Coen Brothers movie character. He's just this, like... I imagine him deep, deep leather bag tan in a white suit (laughs) with like slicked back hair because he's just a doctor, but he's just knocking back lines of coke just right in front of going for it. I did wonder reading about this. This was a different time. And I think people, two things, people were more naive as to what other people were like, kind of their, their horribleness sometimes. And also, I think during the time this book came out, we were kind of glorifying that type of lifestyle. So it it would be really cool to have read this when it came out to illustrate this person being garbage mm-hmm. for us in this way, because it would have challenged our perception or opened our eyes to something. Now it's just tiring because it's like, yeah, saturated with that all day, every day. Yeah, yeah you, you probably shouldn't do coke and then... <laughs> go do medical it's exams. It's not called doing coke, Ben. It's not. It's not. Call it by its proper name. Toot sweet. <laughs> God, no. I, I think that this character is just another firm example of rich white man has no consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He, he, do, he doesn't care about what he says or what he does affecting anybody but him. And that he is just skating through life with it. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm excited to see this mo- character in the movie. I, I <laughs> oh, bet yeah. He seems like a character that you'd be like, man, I hate this guy, but he's fucking hilarious. Yeah. I, I Not the racist part. I need to <laughs> qualify that. Right. But like. But, uh, just, an actor he, could have a lot of fun playing this character. Yes. I did read this scene as very manic. 
I, I imagined him just speaking in a normal tone and cadence. And then as things keep going, he keeps talking, he keeps getting faster, faster. He's like, hey, man, yeah, what do you think about this? Do you want to sweet? And that's how I read it. Yeah. And it was he exhausting. starts like <laughs> giggling at his own thoughts. He starts monologuing. And <laughs> Billy's just like watching him. And we keep cutting to his, Billy's like inner monologue being like, Jesus Christ, this <laughs> fucking guy, which is great. He's not worried about what's going on with Billy because he once saw an old woman grow new teeth. This is where I started thinking of the body horror. Yeah. Because I'm like, he just starts telling all of these stories of like, hey, this is crazy. Someone's heart fell out. (laughs) Nuts, right? Yeah. My, My dad has been in the medical field my entire life and has some horror stories. And it, it just reminds me of that. All the it's stories nostalgic. that go, <laughs> That's awful because it's just the fucking human body doing shit. The human body is disgusting. It's a terrifying it's Gross. <laughs> we get a flashback to the Lemke family coming to town. And I struggled to like Heidi in this scene. What did you guys think of this? When we're meeting... Them um, seeing Mm -hmm. how they enter a town and try to engage with the townspeople and all that. It's a great scene because it shows that, okay, the Romani are not good guys either. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of shady, sneaky business um, on top of doing the the sideshow acts and stuff they do. But in this scene that we get from them is just them pulling up to a place where a crowd is. They get out and start doing all their acts, like just for tips. Yeah, and everything. It's right. yeah, yeah, it's 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 what it's the um, the positive side of of what this like traveling performing family does. Until the cops, they're like, "Hey, rich people are here. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, you dirty." On Heidi, even Linda, there's a cute boy juggling. Linda's like, "Hey," <laughs> and Heidi flips out. She's like. You sit down. And then I did like, though, that he smiles and he's missing teeth and Linda loses interest because <laughs> not having all your teeth is a deal breaker, guys. Get him. Get him. <laughs> but the it's it's them being them like them and their element and just getting shoved out of here because it's uh, too rich and too wide a neighborhood for these street people to be in. That leads to an interesting heart-to-heart between Bill and Linda that night that the the Lemke family comes into town. <laughs> and he almost does the good dad thing. And he's he's trying to be honest with her just mm. about life and how people are just shitty sometimes. But then he really pulls back on all can that. I, can I read my note <laughs> yeah. that I wrote for this? She asks him why the cops were giving those people such a hard time. He decides not to lie to her because masturbating doesn't make you stutter. Because <laughs> that was his example. Yeah. He hated his dad for lying to him and saying that that if he masturbated, he'd stutter. There were things my mom would be like, "I'll tell you when you're older. You don't want to know right now." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." I, I bought it, and then later it's like, "Damn it, mom!" Right. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this dream because the way oh, King we know how dreams, Ben loves the dream no, sequence. It's awesome. The the dream sequence is very good. The fact that the chapter is titled Bird Dream is <laughs> the funniest thing that I've ever heard. It was great. Uh, yeah, it's, he turns into a giant bird. The, the Lemke does. That's all I remember. And everybody in town is, is also is thin. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It reminds me, for some reason, of like scenes from The Stand with just mm. this dead town, all these corpses, and then birds picking at them. Made me think of Ensville. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mentioned chapter nine specifically because we get another weigh, weigh in for our chapter title. 188 pounds is what he is down to now. And this is where things start to really take an interesting turn. Billy kind of already sucks, but his wife and daughter, that dynamic between all of them seems pretty okay. Oh, except for the fact that he fucking hates his wife. Not yeah. Well, this is where he starts to hate her. I don't, this is I first, don't know. This is the first natural thing I feel like he's done. Start to like really like project his anger onto someone who doesn't deserve it. I agree. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know about that because the in the first chapter we get that they have this issue with each other mm-hmm. that they have decided that she will no longer badger him about his weight and he will no longer badger her about her smoking. Yeah, but I think that could be a married couple's problem. Is that a healthy marriage? It, and I'm yeah, not married. I'm I, the one here not married, so... I think it's very noted where he starts to bl- actually blame and hate her. Mm. I think before their relationship was just this relationship. Right. And that was yeah, the okay. worst it, part of their life yeah, is it, they had this bickering yeah. between the two of them. He really Bill Hodges the situation. Oh my he God. He hates Heidi and blames her for giving mm-hmm. him a hand job because if she hadn't done that, if she had not picked that night or that moment to finally give him a handy in the car, he uh, would have been paying attention to the road. Would he have been as angry if this was like the 13th or 14th hand job he'd been given while driving. <laughs> he would have been angry. Exactly. Way. Yeah, because he's shitty. Um, he would have found a reason. He if it wasn't found yeah, a reason. Been, oh, we were out because of this. Right. Or, or she was talking and distracted. Yeah. Like, because, it would have been something to make it not his fault. Yeah. This becomes a major, I don't know if it's a theme or if it's just Billy and like the theme is we're supposed to think this is bad. I don't know. But it becomes a theme of Billy believes in spreading the blame around. Yeah. Everyone is equally guilty. Mm -hmm. Up to and including the victim of the murder. I can't wait to get to that scene. He's a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) And I I wonder if this hatred is a plot device or... Mm, I know the answer to that. Have have you guys finished the book? I've I've read it before and I just finished it so that I can make my notes for Sunday, but... I, I wonder, though, if it's intended to be a plot device or if it is because Billy's going through this this horrible thing, which mm-hmm. might elicit sympathy from the readers. And this is how we are going to continue to, to honor him. the tone of a Bachman book, which <laughs> yeah. is we don't like Billy. Fair. Uh, I, I just think that's interesting. I do think it is a, a plot because... Um, there's a line I didn't write down where it was, who said it or anything, but some he I think he says like if this was a pie, you need your slice too. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone, I, I'm eating this whole pie by myself when all of these people are equally guilty, mm-hmm. and that becomes a thing yeah. later yeah. on. Yeah, because his wife Lemke didn't approach her, touch her, and he's like, if he mm. had known this, what she was doing, she might have her own curse. And we find out that other people have their own curses. When the book finally does something, (laughs) it took 80 pages for something to happen in this book. This Mm -hmm. is nuts, you guys. Okay, so Billy's tests come back that Dr. Houston does. They're fine. And he's getting more, you know, different tests. He's going to be referred to a specialist, this clinic, because Houston's like too high to be a doctor. Or he's going to turn on. And he's, he's been giving this gypsy curse a lot of thought. Like you said, Ben, he's 
assigning all this blame and he's thinking, okay, well, what happened to the other people who are equally or more at fault because they helped me get away with this? You know, I wasn't held accountable for my role in this and wondering how Tit Grabber's doing because he let him off very light and he ignored some logistical things for him. And so he goes to Rossington's home and he's not there, but his wife sure the fuck is. <laughs> and boy, does she have some opinions. She she knows what's up. And mm. uh, I really love the scene. I do have to show you guys what Judge Rossington looks like. Ready? Yeah. Well, they literally what? gave him talons. I know. He's... Okay, okay. I imagine so, something mm, far more disturbing. In the the illustration I have, he looks like an alligator person, yeah, which is not I, scary. It's cool. Yeah, I the way I imagine, the way she describes it sounds fucking disgusting. Billy goes to talk to Rossington's wife, and she's pissed. And Rossington's not there. He is at the Mayo Clinic being treated for what he uh, uh, refuses to acknowledge as anything but skin cancer. Mm -hmm. But the way she describes it as his skin cracking and forming into scales, but she describes them as yellowish and and like deepening to a dark red Mm -hmm. underneath the scales. Have you... It's starting at his chest and working all the way through the torso. The thing that grabbed me about this is the he talks about she says that he even puts a cigarette out on his chest and doesn't feel anything because her husband's turning into Killer Croc. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's joined the rogues gallery (laughs) of Batman. And I wanted to point out uh, this book was published November 1984. Killer Croc was created February 1983. Coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> it's King a big Batman fan. Um, Did you guys notice? Because it, it's we actually we're gonna meet one more person. It was after we meet this person. We didn't talk about his curse, but yeah. that the curses are very somehow individualized to the persons. Like, how could Lemke have known what each of these people's like worst fear or or greatest vanity is? Was Rossington afraid of crocodiles? No. Did I miss so, that part? <laughs> no, in in the description of of Rossington when we first meet his wife, she's commenting, or maybe Billy's commenting, on how he's always like taking really good care of his skin mm-hmm. and he tans and stuff. And the way his skin is described, it's like this nice tanned coffee color and it's just a point of pride with him. So it's very ironic. It's like these curses are individualized. Because mm-hmm. Billy's gluttonous and he's getting thinner. Rossington yes. loves his skin Vain. and he's growing scaly. I'm surprised he's not growing a bunch of tits. But. <laughs> <laughs> if only I did have this thought. When he curses Halleck, he he caresses his cheek and whispers thinner. What did he say to the other two? It, thinner is like just as a word. Scaly. It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like just as a word in, in this context and like learning what it means. It's menacing. Mm-hmm. It, it has menace to it. I can't think of a word that he could say that would sound menacing. Yeah. <laughs> For a guy like that, flaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, Crocodile. And then later. What? And then later he gives puberty. Yeah. yeah. 
Er, what happens to Chief, please, Chief Hopley, reminds me of our conversation about Arnie Cunningham. Yes, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> because Hopley's face is in motion. Yeah, it's. it reminded me of latter day Stark. Yeah, because yeah. uh, they specifically say proud flesh and yellow pus. Yes, it, it is. Does anything important happen between these two events? I don't think so. Uh, they right? get some more character stuff between Billy and Heidi just to continue that character development. But nothing is as exciting as Rossington's drunk wife, who knows he's a tit grabber, throws her gin <laughs> at Billy as he's leaving. And then um, police chief Hopley, who also did not do everything he was supposed to do because they're good buds, too. Well, and also he was the one that ran them out of town in the first place. Mm-hmm. And although I don't think they're mad about that because that's kind of like par for the yeah, course. That's I mean, true. not that they appreciated it, but they're not going to curse a guy over that. That's fair. Yeah. He, uh, when Halleck finally hits the road, he's not finding, uh, I guess that's for episode two, but he's not finding a bunch of other cursed people. Yeah. In the all town. police officers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he hey. Mentions basically that like Tatters would be the hero of the story in that case. <laughs> That hopefully just didn't investigate it. Like yeah. it was a haphazard mm-hmm. investigation. That's right. He didn't give him a, a breathalyzer. breathalyzer. Yep. Uh, that's right. That's mm-hmm. why he got roped into it. He gives Billy a really good scare, though. This scene is, I think, the point that I was like, okay, this book is all right. <laughs> <laughs> this book, this scene got me. He shows up to Hopley's because he's called to try to find him, and they're like, no, he's. He's been out and he knocks the door. There's no answer. And he starts like yelling because he can tell someone's home. And Hopley basically says it's gone too far. Just says that he even says his face is sliding off at one point. This they're on either side of his front door and you can just feel Hopley like behind the door crouch yeah. down it just felt, like monstrous it felt cold and dark to me while i was reading this yes. i felt that it was cool yeah uh hopefully finally lets him in and the house is very very dark and hopefully tells the story that he was uh with his parents at a restaurant he'd never been to before and the the old romani man came out of the bathroom when he was on his way in mm-hmm touched him and said something his brain wasn't ready to process and then left giggling scampered yeah if if it makes you happy ben he sees that his face is just like like i said covered in acne and and pussy and disgusting and the thing that stands out to me in this scene is that they basically sit around in the dark and play past the blame Mm -hmm. like let's talk about everyone else whose fault it is and that's when Billy shares his plan. Yeah. A brilliant, genius plan. He is going to track down the man who put the curse on him. He's going to step straight up to his face and he's going to be like, hey, it was her fault too. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's, yeah. the, that's the most insane, privileged plan mm-hmm. to be like, you can't punish me. This woman walked she out. She jaywalked. The, yeah, she jaywalked. That that deserves to be hit by my that's car. That's a crime. How many cases do you think he's won? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know at least one. Yeah. <laughs> and it took uh, and, but, Yeah, that was not by his hand at all. <laughs> it was a complete surprise that he won. The setting of this scene, mm-hmm. the way it is, I, I can picture it. Th- this is something 
that we don't talk about enough, I don't think, in King's work. The way he paints a picture. I'm not always the best at, like, imagining the exact, you know, what is happening in the book in my head. Like, I don't have the, like, complete It's not a movie visual. for you. Not always. Yeah. Except with King. Scenes like this, I can picture it. I could, if I could draw, I could draw this scene perfectly. I could, it's him sitting in the dark with this figure hunched in a corner. It's like an old monster movie. Mm -hmm. And when he shines the light on his face, it's only for a second. And then he puts it back. And in that one second, he sees enough. And it, oh, it's it's uh, so good. I, I found, I wrote the quote down. It describes his face as full of cataclysmic upheavals. Zits and proud flesh, yellow pus, and blackheads cover him. So gross. Also, <laughs> Hopley basically says, if this gets worse, I'm prepared to, to eat my service revolver. But in, in, And believe me, if I had my chance, if I got my hands on that man, I'd kill him slowly and painfully. He's, he just only feels for revenge right now. And Hopley's thing is that he had bad acne as a kid mm-hmm. and he has occasional flare-ups that Dr. Tootsweet treats him for. <laughs> right. So this this is the point where I had the thought, like, is this real? Oh. Because this scene is very dreamlike. Yeah. It, it's kind of floaty. He walks into this guy's house and it's, I, I can just imagine it's pitch black. He literally walks in and like turns a corner and sees him like, outlined walking into a room it's all so Mm -hmm. horror movie and then later on we find out that hopely has killed himself and when they find him they're like yeah he had really bad acne but not what billy had described it that not this horror show Mm -hmm. that billy witnessed and this was the point that i was like if this was a different book would we believe that this happened at all or like it maybe it did happen but they were both so they're both so racked with guilt that they saw what they want to see i think the the only thing that stands against that is that we got carrington's from his wife instead of him yes she saw his skin like she (laughs) saw how bad it was getting saw that his like hands were getting talony uh, that his dick was going to fall off. Yeah, his dick was going to fall off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it just reverses probably to protect Lemke so that he's not leading it's, a trail yeah. of curse evidence. It, yeah, it's uh, like uh, like Billy says, it's like a werewolf. Or, when you kill a werewolf, they turn back into a guy. Yeah. Or Hopely blew most of his head away. And what they or found that. of his head just had a few zits. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just obsessed with the idea like of that, yeah. like this being more of a thriller mm-hmm. yeah. of is this... A curse, or is Halleck just going insane with guilt? Yeah, he he ends up agreeing to go to this clinic, the Glassman Clinic, because time's not an issue for him, so right. he can spare three days. Right. So they do a bunch of tests, and the doctors cannot figure it out, and they're like super excited about that because they think it might be psychological anorexia or a couple other things that don't exist yet that they can invent and and be very famous for. And so they're like, okay, man, we just want you to you know live here until you die or we fix you (laughs) and we'll give you a discount on the testing. You don't have to pay full price. He's like, no, thank you. Very calmly. And they're like, they huddle. Okay. Here's what (laughs) we'll do. You, you don't have to pay for any tests. You can just, you know, pay for, for being here for the facility. He's like, no, no, thanks. 
They huddle again. Like, okay. And that's so stupid. Here's what we're going to do. They are so, they're like stooges. You don't have to pay for anything. Just let us do tests on you. And he's like, no thanks. And there you have it, America, the solution to our healthcare problem. <laughs> Just get so sick that no one knows what's wrong with you. Yeah. It'll be free. And his his refusal causes his wife and uh, Dr. Toot Sweet to kind of team up on him, uh, which led to one of my all-time favorite lines in any of these books, where uh, Dr. Toot Sweet says on the phone, uh, your wife says you've been spending a lot of time at a bar, have you? And Halleck's reply is, if I had, wouldn't your wife have seen me? Oh! <laughs> fucking, fucking great. got him. <laughs> Yeah, Billy's kind of uh, turning on everyone around him who gets in his way or might be getting in his way or just doesn't agree with him. He's by this point, he's made up his mind that this is real. This is a curse. Nothing I do medically is going to make any difference. He's continuing to lose weight rapidly despite eating constantly. And he's really terrified. And in Houston or the doctors, one of them has already mentioned if you don't fix this, if you keep losing weight, you're going to have a lot of other health problems and psychological problems because your body's just not going to be able to support you. You are going to die really difficultly, and we don't want that. The reality of that happening during this bonkers curse is – it was just a cool juxtaposition, those two things for me. Oh, we we skipped over – because it's mentioned very briefly that he – because he you know works for this law firm, they have – people who can find things mm -hmm. and that he is like reached out to one of their investigators to say, find me literally any and everything you can find on these people. Uh, and then the guy's like, cool, get back to you whenever. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought it was cool. I was a little blindsided when Heidi sends Linda away to her aunts without being able to say goodbye yeah. to her dad or anything. And I liked the way it was written because it felt like a shock to me too, right along with Billy is like, whoa, that's, that's extreme because, yeah, he's refusing treatment, but he, as far as she knows, he might have cancer or some sort of problem, mm. and she's punishing him for that. And I know she's trying to protect Linda because Linda's taking it really hard, but maybe let them have a farewell. Right. Could be the last time she sees right. her dad. It's a it's yeah. a very harsh betrayal, which only fuels his feelings towards her right now. And he, end up, he ends up giving in and telling Heidi the truth, and she's like, oh. Okay, crazy. And then that's really when she decides, uh, you know, Dr. Houston, I need to have a talk. And if if things if he's not going to go along with things, we're going to have to have him committed for his own safety and health. So Billy knows that because he's a lawyer, he knows that competency hearings and paperwork take time. So he's not really concerned about this right now. And instead of just pretending to consider anything, he's pushing back really, really hard because he has his plan. He's having his firm hire some guys to follow up on this family to track them down. And he also finally calls Janelli and doesn't really know why he's calling him, but just tells him he's having some trouble and he might need a friend. And the dude's like, okay, well, you just keep me posted. Because Janelli's awesome. We also find out some uh, interesting information from the investigation that he's initiated through his law firm about Lemke and his family. Yeah, he finds out that instead of being the grandfather like he thought, it is actually Tedu's is Susanna's father. 
Well, no, he he thought he spent the whole book thinking that the woman he hit was his oh uh, his wife. wife. Yeah, that's right. Because this woman was very in the old seventies. Yeah, but finding out that it was his daughter. This is the the point where Halleck does his best attempt at becoming a real protagonist, <laughs> because this is the first time he he thinks how he would respond if somebody ran over his daughter, and it starts making him less angry about throwing blame around and a little more focused on the trauma he caused. Yeah. Interesting that when it was, he thought it was his wife, he wasn't like, man, how would I feel if it had been my wife? (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't even thought of (laughs) that. So I can see your earlier point. Yeah, he hated her. (laughs) So he gets a decent idea of where the Lemkes might be based on this information, and he decides to hit the road. He writes Heidi a goodbye letter, claiming that he still loves her, really making a point. It is a bad letter. Yeah. Well, he does a bad awful. job. Because oh. he literally spends like two paragraphs being like, listen, I gotta go. This is your fault, too. <laughs> like, you need... I think the reason you're angry at me is because you know this is your fault. Uh, anyway, by the way, still love ya, and I hope when I come back, we can be happy again. And it's like, oh, that's buddy. such an obvious lie. Yeah, <laughs> buddy, I don't think that's in the cards. See, I saw this letter as a as a milestone for him, in that it is the point when he realizes that his plan isn't go and say, "Hey, it was her fault too." It's the moment he realizes I need to go to, I need to go apologize. I need to try to find a way to make this right mm. and not throw blame around anymore. And he literally does say he's like, but <laughs> also you don't have to be upset because you're so guilty. Yeah. yeah I'm he's still take care throwing blame yeah. around. <laughs> and he's trying. And, and he points out that basically if, he can be cured. He wants to leave this town and never come back because mm-hmm. this has exposed all of the rottenness mm-hmm. that he's benefited from probably his whole life. And he's just really seeing it now and he is ready to be done with this place and everyone in it. Which is really kind of the uh, the thesis. Is this the thesis statement of the book? Because I think it thinks it is. Because it's this is the point where he's like, okay, I've realized the way I've been living my life, this upper class suburban bullshit is all bad. I'm out. And he hits the road, kind of mimicking the Romani. He becomes a, a nomad mm-hmm. following them. And there's kind of this undertone of like, li- the, the Romani are free in a way that these poor suburban pieces of shit aren't except like Josh said earlier, the Romani aren't good guys either. They're also (laughs) described as criminals and like really unfortunate stereotypes. It can't have it both ways. I think the thesis of this book is that everybody sucks and no one is blameless. Except children. That's, yeah, that's a much better thesis statement for this book. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) I thought it was interesting when we hit chapter 17 because we hadn't had the the weigh-ins in a while. And so when I 
found out when I looked at the chapter title, this is when he gets on the road, it's 137. I I still expected him to, because I, I knew he was continuing to lose weight, but I thought he'd be like down to maybe 160 because our last weigh-in was like mm-hmm. 188. But it's been a few weeks. Yeah. And I want to, again, for our listeners, I want to show you guys the picture in my my nice fancy book of how he is depicted. Oh, yeah. God. It's, I, I couldn't help if in the movie, the guy playing Billy Halleck doesn't go full Christian Slater and the Machinist. <laughs> Christian Bale. What did I say? <laughs> Christian Slater. Yeah. Dolan. If he doesn't go full Christian full Slater in, Do- in Dolan's Cadillac. <laughs> Uh, no, it, full Christian Bale in The Machinist. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy. Yeah. I don't see how the movie can work. Like, he has to look skeletal. Mm-hmm. And, and this starts something that we'll get more of later, but people are starting to take notice of him in a very negative way that he's really not used to experiencing before. Because he looks very uncomfortably ill. So he has a pretty good lead on where they might be, thanks to a waitress at a diner. And I swear, I was like, man, why why do we have like five pages of this scene? But it was only <laughs> one and a half. It just felt excruciatingly yep. long. And, and I don't think we really need to talk about that because yeah. we're going to have all of his on-the-road stuff in part mm-hmm. two of Thinner on our next episode. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, because that's where we left off, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I wasn't aware that you had read it, so I guess it's mostly for Josh. What do you think we're going to see more of? Or what do you think Act 2 of this book is like? I think we are going to get to know the the Romani as people, is kind of what I'm thinking. Because up until now, they've been two first names... And just generic, these are, you know, these are problem people. I'm thinking in Act 2, we're going to get more of maybe who they are as as people and bring home the, you know, we're not so different, you and I. You think Bachman's going to humanize them? uh, Not in in the way Bachman (laughs) would. Like, they're still going to be terrible. Like, I'm sure they're still going to be awful people. But I, I think we're going to attach more emotion to them Mm -hmm. so that way this isn't just a one-sided like we're feeling stuff for for halleck now we'll see how everything has maybe affected the romani people that's it for this episode of dairy public radio as always thank you for listening join us for our next episode where we will be covering the rest of the book thinner for benjamin graham and cm alexander i'm joshua khan reminding you when you're out for revenge you're not apt to see how everything is shades of gray Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Thinner Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. And of course, you can send us an email, which we really, truly enjoy, at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Check out our merch on our Etsy store, search Dairy Public Radio. And if you want more but don't want to wait two weeks, sign up for our Patreon at the $5 tier and up. We have a monthly bonus episode of The Club, and we sometimes release our Dairy Public Radio episodes early there as well. 
And we're also working on more content for our Patreon in addition to the bonus episodes, store discount, and other fun things we send you when you sign up. Before you go, Ben shared another gem from his childhood that I had to cut for time, but I couldn't let this precious moment disappear forever. So I will play it after my outro here in just a second, followed by a couple of goofs from the opening of the episode. Hope you enjoy. Oh, sorry. I, I got really excited about this. I, my note was, Halleck lives every human being's nightmare in court shortly after this. <laughs> <laughs> he stands up yes. and his pants just fall down. Okay, I have uh. a story that is unrelated okay. to the book. <laughs> if this needs to be cut, so be it. In my senior year of high school, I was in a play called uh, The Night of January 14th, I believe. It was a courtroom drama. It was not good, not just because it was a high school production, but because the play itself is boring and shitty. Fair. I played a detective who was called up to the stand to whatever. But the gimmick is the director of the show placed all of the witnesses who were in the show in the audience. And so when they got called up to the stand, we went up on stage, gave our our evidence. Uh, testimony. Testimony, thank you. <laughs> and went back down uh, and sat down. Well, opening night, I was sitting in the audience, like third row, and the, the costume pants that I was wearing were too big for me. And so my name gets called. My character's name, I do remember, was Detective Homer. <laughs> that just adds. And so they're like, Detective Homer to the stand or whatever. And I stand up and literally my pants go to my knees. And <laughs> <End> scene. <laughs> and I hurriedly pull them up and walk up on stage, waddling with my hands on my hips. <laughs> Audience members serve as the jury in that play, and <laughs> I don't think I helped the case. Oh my god, that's amazing. So yes, worst nightmare. It's it's a bad thing to <laughs> Sorry. What I, is your deal? When, when you said Joshua Khan, I almost said, hello everyone. <laughs> and I had to say, Oh my god. Wow. Give away that we are on our podcast that you and I are one person. <laughs> and I, we're just one very talented ventriloquist. Hi, I'm your host, Joshua Khan. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Let's try um, that again. Okay. Oh, hey, do you want to sit in that chair instead? Yes. I fucking hate this chair so much. If I could burn a chair and you wouldn't get mad. I don't know why you can't sit still like a statue have like I do. <laughs> when have you ever known me to be still? Oh. That's the only problem is a big chair. Now I'm going to just roll everywhere. Welcome to the Roller Derby Podcast. <laughs> I'm Joshua Khan! From everywhere. Because I'm rolling everywhere. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's get all these out before we start recording. Before we start recording a very dark book. All right. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Khan, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, concert readers. And today we are kicking off our first episode of Thinner, which is our Patreon selection from Kevin Sundstrom. And we are reading through chapter 16 and CM is leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Oh, shit. Through chapter 16? 
Yeah. I thought it was through chapter 17. It's definitely through chapter Sorry, 17. Sorry, through chapter <laughs> Fuck. Did it's you? okay. I read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me take that one more time. I'm just going to do the whole intro over. <laughs> also, just so you know, that time when you said Joshua Khan, I also said <laughs> But for fun. <laughs> That's why I was kind of off when you actually got to my name. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. This episode's going great. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.